This is the Moshpit Backstage Podcast for punk, metal and rock interviews and segments. album culture ruins everything around me coming out on the 11th of july i have future corpse in the studio elliot jared and tim guys how are we we are so Excellent. good great thank you very much for asking yeah now for those who don't know we had a really cool interview back in 2016 when you released your last album um what have you been up to since we last talked apart, apart from obviously making the album We've played a ton of gigs. We played a whole ton of gigs after that album came out. Yeah. And then we buckled down and wrote another 45 minutes of music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much been the last couple of years of our lives. Now, when exactly did you start working on the album? When is it like, all right, next album, as opposed to just like riffing or writing? When was it like, this next album, this is the work pr- uh, beginning? I'd say before the last one even finished. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was jams yeah. of what became um, an abject failure, the Face Buster riff. Yeah. That was, we I remember writing that in the garage, in the garage you know, it was yeah. just, I came out of that riff and it came through and I kind of remember the songs being started to be put together quite after like that big chunk of gigs we played after Another World to Consume. Yeah. And I feel like the, f- the first thing would have been hyper normal, yeah, Tim? Uh, yeah, I think that was the first complete song. Yeah, because you put a lot of that together, like yeah. that first verse and chorus. Yeah. Mm. Um, but we've had riffs and uh, just ideas just sitting on our on our drive just um, that we pick from. So we're always writing. We're already writing the third one. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. some good riffs. Can't wait <laughs> yeah. for it. Never stops. <laughs> Never stops. Interesting, interesting. So it's, it's basically like you've just got like a wealth of material. Yeah. And putting together songs that eventually become an album, you just sort of, sort of slowly piece it together. More or That's less. That's it, yeah. Like, we yeah. don't really write a song and then throw it out. Like, we'll we'll keep working at it for months and months. Like, I mean, some of the songs off this last album, like, we were still nutting out the final parts, like, within a couple of months of going into the studio. So, yeah. Yeah, even um, some of the form was still being structured while we were... In the studio. Yeah, you know, well, doing pre-production at the studio, you know, by the time we had commenced tracking drums, we had finalised the the forms and uh, everything that would be there. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, when we were talking last time, you mentioned that uh, you, Jared, were sort of mainly uh, responsible for sort of laying down the sort of early stage of the album most of the, the riffs and then the, the rest of it sort of came after that yeah well, how, how did this album get um, put together in terms of you guys working together it was very different it was mm. a lot more collaborative like as I said uh, Tim Hyper Normal Living two thirds to three quarters of that song were like basically him writing just like the parts Elliot wrote a riff yeah so that plays was, drums guys that was, <laughs> wrote a riff that was very fun for a guitarist to try and work out a guitar riff written by a drummer who can't play guitar it's still the hardest riff to play on the album like I'm still working on that riff to get it really tight I can do it it's good but I'm still like no, it's not what I would come up with so. but it was definitely like more of a joint effort the, f- the, the first full length album was like a lot of Jared yeah a lot of Jared's Jared like, in his bedroom r- writing the song from start to finish whereas this one Tim writes a whole bunch of riffs. Jared writes a whole bunch of riffs. I put some stuff in there too. And then, like, 
we just jam it a lot in the room yeah. and then it sort of becomes a song with everyone mm. kind of like molding it and putting their hands on it. A lot of decisions were made in the room, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're like, oh, let's remember that. We've got to write that down, you know. And we mm. went and we put it down and some things, you know, I feel like if it's good enough, you're going to remember it. If you don't remember it, it's probably not that good of an idea and we didn't have yeah. problems in really enjoying it. Like we really were, f- sorry, um, remembering it. So it, the end product was enjoyable. It ended up being a much more organic and lot of like naturally flowing album, I guess. Yeah. It's more accessible now that like more hands have touched it, I guess. Yeah, not to discredit anything from the first album, but like <laughs> uh, definitely not doing that at all. But like it's it's more of a group effort and it's Absolutely. more like it's you know, I've shown people that aren't really into heavy music at all and they kinda they're bopping along and it's yeah, it's yeah. good. It's really good to get a reaction from that sort of stuff. After the last album and you know, already sort of having these riffs together. Do, do, do you sort of take anything away from another world's consumed? Do you do you take anything away from that, uh, either the process or listening yeah. back to the end result that you sort of uh, apply to this one? Definitely. Yeah, a lot of lessons in terms of uh, who we we would approach to be involved in creation of art or production. You know, we really. You know, we were kind of like naive kids, really, just like finding a producer, and it was good. What we did with Steve was really good, but there were things that were lacking. And on this album, we've created something that I hear, I listen to the production, and I'm like, that's world class. That's 100% what I want. You know, the instrument sounds how I want it to sound. When I go back and listen to Another World to Consume, even at the time, it was like, okay. You know, I remember during the process, when is it going to sound like an album? And with this album, that was a lot quicker, even during tracking. So, and what else did we learn, I guess? Just in the writing process. Um, yeah. I found that we had a better idea of um, what we wanted for the end result. And, like, doing the vocals as well, we, we took that into account, whereas before it was like, let's just write these riffs and then the vocals will come. But this time around, we uh, really focused on the vocals and where things lie. And well, we had we were, well the first the first album we had a different vocalist uh, in the lineup, and then we basically figured out well he, he'll he'll take care of the vocals when he turns up, and then he turned up and it wasn't what we imagined at all. No. So this album round we had the just the three of us and we knew exactly what we wanted mm. and where we wanted it to go, and we were thinking about it a lot earlier on in the piece rather than the last album where we pretty much wrote a hundred percent of the lyrics and the vocals in the space of like two weeks. Yeah. So as a result, this album's got way more like hooks and like catchy parts and good singing and like stuff we've really thought about where it's going to get placed. More so, these two guys to my left and right. But um, yeah, it's it yeah much better in that regard. So we learnt a lot. We we've, we've constantly been saying the whole time like we made a lot of mistakes the first time around and we kind of like addressed every single one of those every step of the way for this album. And the result is like something we're all very very proud of. Still learning though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I never want to sit down and go, yeah, we know how to do it now. Because yeah, that's, no. that's what's the point of being a band if you know how to do it. Like, yeah. you, want, you want to keep keep pushing the envelope. Yeah. Mm, additional to sort of um, more hooks in terms of the vocals, I also sort of noticed a sort of greater span of different vocalists. Yeah. Um, we might yeah. talk a little bit about the guest vocalists a little bit later, talk about the guests sort of generally. But yeah, what was what was the thinking behind that? Why 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 did you sort of branch it out a bit more? Well, we were th- like we were thinking like prog metal for Gazi, you know, like me and Tim doing that, yeah. like trading off one another because mm. that that's for Gazi rules. And uh, yeah, it just you know Tim I wants just, to do more singing. Yeah, I, I just wanted, wanted to singing. do more vocals, and uh, 
Yes, just just because we wanted to vary it up, um, rather than just having one voice the whole time. Uh, two is more interesting, I guess. It sounds it sounds better, and I think seeing a live band where you're constantly moving your head left and right like a tennis match, looking at the next person doing vocals. I think that's really impressive for a yeah. band. Whenever I see a band where there's two or three people singing and yelling and like there's so much diversity in the voices, that really grabs me. And I'm really glad that our band has that now. I listen to our songs and like I'm never tired of the voice. Like yeah. Jared will yell and then Jared will sing and then Tim will sing and then Tim will yell and it's like and they're doing it together and they're trading lines and like I just think that's fantastic so I'm very happy and and it's not like either of us are Bruce Dickinson like we can't you know (laughs) this multi-octave vocal range (laughs) yeah well (laughs) yeah no (laughs) no but but saying that I sort of noticed um, a sort of development in the way you in particular have done the vocals could you talk a little bit about that yeah um, well it's got a lot more grit um, and uh, you know there's there's melodic parts there's pitched stuff there it's not just uh screaming you know i was getting closer to more of a refused kind of sound with my vocals which is what i really like i love vocals from refused again a swedish name that actually i think his name's quite easy to pronounce but i, I don't know i just like i just like refuse i like chef punk to come okay i don't know everyone in the band but um yeah uh th- that was you know a huge influence and just getting it harsher more gutsier more um you know presence and like you know when i listen to the previous album it's like it sounds cool i had more of a first native album kind of sound because that was kind of easy to sort of replicate and get myself into that kind of mode of vocal performance but yeah i've got a lot more range and uh, versatility and strength now Mm, that's really good all right i'm gonna play one of the tracks from the album hyper normal living talk a little bit about this track well (laughs) <laughs> this has never been played before. So this is an exclusive. It's brand new. It's the first track of our of our album. It starts everything off. Um yeah, I wrote a lot of it, I guess, and I think Jared wrote the second half. Yeah, like the bridge, you know, I came yeah. up with that chord progression. It's like, well, we'll turn a riff out of that and then we turn a riff a riff comes later. Um uh, but yeah, this is a lot more of a punk rock song. Uh, you know, pretty straight up to the guts kind of song. We mentioned sort of the, uh, different vocals on the album, one of whom is by Joel Taylor, who I believe also uh, produced it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, in terms of getting having guests, you had a number of other people, including David Seisman on sax and Declan Jones on the trumpet. How did you go about saying, like, okay, this track needs a little bit extra, and how did you go about picking the people who would be that extra? Well... David Seisman was an early pick. Yeah. We have we had a, a rhythmic section in one of the songs, and I think we've all wanted a sax solo for ages. I've definitely yeah. wanted a yeah, sax absolutely. solo for ages. And we were like, who do we know that plays sax? And his name was the first one that came up, mm. and one that we all agreed would be perfect for the spot. And we just approached him and said, do you want to lay down some sweet licks on this song? And he said, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I think John Zone or John Coltrane. And he's like, okay. And maybe I shouldn't have said John Zorn because he's like, he's so outside and crazy. But it's great. Like, and we got a great solo from him. But yeah, maybe I should have emphasized more on maybe Coltrane, Sonny Rollins or something. But just, well, uh, of, just to help him with the feel. Part of why we wanted Horns is the Mars Volta as well. They have a, a huge uh, brass section. Not brass. Wind. Yeah. yeah. Brass, brass and, wind. and wind. Well, we got the trumpets, yeah. 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 Got both of them. So uh, yeah, we just wanted to add that in and... Uh, really spice things up. We're fans of jazz anyway, so we've yeah. always wanted something like that. And uh, guys came in, 
did a great job. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. And I guess the reason why is just like, wouldn't it be cool if we had this? Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first album just drums, guitar, and bass the whole way through, pretty much. I mean, there's there's a lot of guitar effects. Yeah. But like, we definitely wanted to have different stuff on this one to spice it up. Yeah. Um, we're all massive fans of yeah, sax and, and woodwind and brass, like we just said, and um, I, I hope we can do more of that in the future. Have more crazy instruments stuff you wouldn't normally hear in punk and metal just to spice things up and make it sound cool i always like hearing a different instrument in a band that i wouldn't expect to hear it in so yeah it's always nice but where does it end future conference symphony oh. i mean oh my god metallica already did that yeah, so i know i'm not gonna it. touch that s and fc I don't know. <laughs> anyway um, so the last time we chatted, we were obviously talking about your last album, and you mentioned there was recorded at Soggy Dog Recording Studio. Yeah. You went with the Black Lodge this time. Talk a little bit about that choice. It's closer. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're basically driving from like Ascot Vale to bloody Upway, and this was in Brunswick, so we're like, yeah, geographically it's more convenient, so I guess we'll Huge just go factor. there. But we, he's produced um, Anchors and Stockades, a couple of bands that we're familiar with, and we liked the sound he got from yeah. with them, and we wanted something similar for ourselves. And yeah, we're definitely happy with that choice. Yeah, well, we wanted a guy who knows a lot of metal, and he played in death metal bands, and he plays in a lot of punk bands. So it's like, great. Well, we want more of a punk rock attitude and energy on this. Mm. I think he'll be perfect, and he was. He knew exactly what we wanted, and he's he's with us. Like, and he's he knows the songs, and Joel really likes songs. And working with him was just really great. It was a perfect fit, and I, you know definitely want to do it again in the future like that's how strong I feel about it <laughs> he's a great dude yeah he's a yeah, great dude he's yeah. a great dude and like he actually produced us he didn't just sort of like I mean we had a great time with the first album I really don't yeah. want to come across like we're negative about that mm. but he actually had a lot of input in the album and like because he plays drums as well so he had a lot of input with me specifically um, like a couple of the drum fills he, he gave me those ideas and like he, he was very good to work with as far as producing the drums like down to where he sat the snare drum in the room and everything. And um, I think it's the best drum sound I've ever had. Oh, yeah. And like when I hear these songs, it's how I imagined them when we were playing them in our little jam hub in the garage, yeah. how they would eventually sound. That's how they sound now. That those acoustic qualities and like um, it's, it's raw, but it's polished and it's tight, but it's like got this real live energy to it. And yeah, he's good at doing his job. So that's yeah. cool. <laughs> Did it good. He's got a great ear, Joel, like in general for pitch, harmony, everything. Like he's he was a really good hand to have, a really good critical and uh, constructive ear to have. Mm, that's interesting though. Like when you get someone, because you guys obviously work very closely on this music, you guys are obviously very close because yeah. you've been together for, God, how many years is it now? Six years. Well, yeah, but in terms of like, well, you know, yeah, Tim's... Kind of. Well, Tim was riding with you before I joined the band. Yeah. yeah. You know? so, I mean, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, you, you yeah. guys have been together for a long yeah, time. Exactly. So what, what is it like having someone who is only just hearing the material that you've been working on for upwards of two years? How, how, do, how do you sort of incorporate that kind of, uh, that, that kind of feedback in a, in, a, in a good way? Well, it was just good because Joel's really good at it. Mm. And he, he doesn't, you know, there's no... You know, I think, like, pretense or, you know, with Joel, he's just, like, gives you a good opinion, you know. Um, everything I'd want to hear, yeah, you know. I didn't. There wasn't any challenges, anything like, oh, I'm not sure about that. I was like, yep, and you're right. So let's rethink this. His input was always welcome. Absolutely. Like, he 
praise the stuff that was that was good and if something wasn't quite up to scratch he'd tell us and then we'd we'd work it out and yeah yeah and it's what, like yeah. it's like writing for for just the three of us like any input is good because we respect each other so Joel was like just another member uh, mm. because of how um, how knowledgeable he was and uh, professional we were like ready to welcome him in so yeah. yeah and like you said we spent like two years working on this music uh, we love having someone else hear it like that's why this yeah. this period for the band is so exciting because we're we can finally show friends and that um, this music that we've worked on for so long and we're sure it's great but then you show someone else and to get uh, to see their head nodding or they, they they enjoy it or getting their feedback in any sense is good because we're, we're so sure of what it of, of what it is but then after a while you're like it kind of becomes an echo chamber are we alone here? yeah, yeah it kind of becomes yeah. an echo chamber of ourselves saying like you know back slapping and saying it's great and then yeah it's, it's good to show someone else yeah to what, to what extent do you invite other people besides Joel to I don't know, experience that material, give them opinions uh, before the album's actually released? Oh, whoever. It doesn't come up because I don't want to be, hey, listen to my band, everyone, you know, shoving <laughs> yeah. in everyone's face constantly. It's Especially a little bit annoying. But, you know, when it comes up naturally in conversation, I'm like, hey, yeah, well, I've got a band. I'm just doing out. Hey, want to listen to this thing? Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It hasn't come up that often. But I wouldn't be intentionally shutting people out. Although, closer release, I've been like, Kind of feeling that way of like, oh, I don't want to shoot. You know, it's coming out soon, so we'll just be patient. You can listen to it then. But ultimately, when it comes to opinions and like how things should sound, it's the three of us. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, that's how it. Always I mean, there's is. people close in the circle, like a guy these guys studied music with called Shay. He kind of gets a first sneak peek and. Hi Shay. Yeah, <laughs> shout outs to Shay, and then uh, Jared's other band members and Jake from Giant Clam and you know, partners and stuff like that. We'll show them, but yeah, aside from that, it's we kind of keep it to ourselves. You got Colin Marston? Yeah. I we mean, sure I did. did. Yeah, I'm sure we're all big fans. Hell yeah. I'm definitely a big fan. Mm. <laughs> um, to master it, talk a little bit about how that all shook out. So easy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it was all done through email. Yeah. Um, you just, just like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, is that easy? Did really you easy, an email yeah. and he said, the yeah. genius on board. <laughs> but we had like an A-team, what we call the A-team now in our minds. We had like, we knew who wanted to do our artwork, who was Eugene. We knew we wanted Joel to produce it. We knew we wanted Colin to master it. Um, yeah, that's... And we got him. And we yeah, got all, got we got him. all, we got that's all. That's right. And it was very easy. Um, there was other people who were in the roster of the A-team who won't be named who didn't come to the table, but mostly we got the ones we wanted. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it doesn't work. But as far out, as Colin yeah. goes, it was pretty easy. Like I think he just wants to produce. Sorry, he wants to master bands. I think he welcomes any band to work with. I think he wants to hear new and exciting stuff. We all respect his take on music. We've watched yeah. interviews with him, and the way he speaks about music um, aligns with our sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And we think he was perfect given the kind of raw slash polished take we wanted like some stuff he's produced like artif- mastered sorry like artificial brain and even his own stuff like Krellis that's the kind of sound we wanted to get in the end and I think we got it yeah Krellis rules yeah Krellis yeah. great <laughs> band bottom line <laughs> um, I wasn't sure when I was going to ask this question but now that now we're specifically talking about Krellis yeah, um, <laughs> new material I think there's there's been a definite progression since um, oh, well it's weird because they had Damn it, I can't remember the album titles. But so I think they had their fourth one, which was sort of similar to the the way they've been going. Then they released Yug Yeah, that's that's yeah. how you pronounce it. Yeah. The yeah. World Tree. 
Yeah. 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 And then they, but then they had like hyperdimensional whatever it was. Uh, Hyperion. Um, Hi- Hyperion. Hyperion. Yeah. And Butchering was, this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which was sort of a throwback. But like, you, and then the rest of it, it's sort of been going in a sort of more, I don't know, sort of proggier, abrasive direction, I would say. Quite yeah. dissonant. Yeah. yeah. How, 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 thought, thoughts about that? I like the more traditional black metal stuff they do. Ikera didn't really um, resonate with me. And the most recent one they did, which I also can't remember the name of, <laughs> he worked... Is that the one where he worked with the bass the guy player? From from, the- yeah, I really like that because it, kind of, yeah. it kind of met in the middle of that traditional black metal and that kind of heavy, Go, go Be pro- Forgotten. Go Be Forgotten, yeah. that's the one. Well, there you go. That's a great title. Appropriate title because I go <laughs> went and forgot it. So. <laughs> Sorry, Cole. But, yeah. Well, in the same way, I think that uh, he... Not he. The the band maybe uh, forward thinking people like like we are like um, they did black metal at first and it was pretty, it was progressive but still pretty standard and because that was done it forward to the next thing. Can we incorporate you know guest musicians since mm. things like that and yeah. we're kind of the same. We're always yeah. thinking, how can we make this more different and piss people off? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of bands do that. They'll start somewhere and then they'll change and sometimes you don't like where it goes and sometimes you do. I mean, for example, Mars Volta, the last two albums they did, they went in a different direction and personally, they're the weaker albums for me but other bands start off in a place that I don't like and end up somewhere that I really do. So, it's always good to be changing because if you do the same thing over and over again and you keep releasing the same album every two years, it's not great. Yeah. yeah. You're, well, you're, 80% of metal bands, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of just have a higher turnover of fans, you know. You'll bring in some new people and you'll lose some old people. I don't know. That's not what we want to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I feel like e- even if you aren't happy with necessarily the direction they've gone, I think that you should definitely appreciate the yeah. fact that they've chosen something to sort of push the boundaries and that yeah. they've really the gone is, that way. The old albums Absolutely. are still there. Like, yeah. doing an yeah. album that's different and new doesn't mean the old album's been deleted. You've yeah, still got just it. Just go listen to Dimensional Bleed Through if you really want that <laughs> oh, again. Oh, I will. <laughs> yeah, I will too. An abject failure. Talk a little bit about that particular track. Well, I was thinking about, about it. It has the first riff kind of of the album, that Face Buster riff that we've dubbed it. That was the original working title of the song, <laughs> Face Buster. Full disclosure. Um... Yeah, that do do that riff. So yeah, that was cool. Yeah, we just came up with that in the garage at the house that we've all we were all living in, and that became sort of the very first thing written for the album, and then the rest of the song was kind of written around it uh, yep. in the months that followed, I guess. Yeah, we wanted something really groovy and something that we could like stay on for for yeah. a bit. So yeah. that's why it, we kind of jam on that for a while, and that's that's what we did in the garage as well. So it's kind of in the song kind of got everything we want like it's got uh you know a really catchy catchy riff it's got a kind of anthemic punk chorus that comes back a few times yeah um then it's got the start of the song which kind of is like a mahavishnu orchestra inspired yep. sort of prog uh instrumental intro yeah that's kind of changing it's the time signature math rock tapping bar. yeah <laughs> some crazy math rock tapping and stuff um yeah that's sort of the, it's the first song we did pre-production for as well i think um, yeah, so that's hyper normal. Yeah, one so that one and hyper normal living are probably the ones that have been like worked the most as far as um, the songs go. But yeah, and lyrically it sort of just ties in with everything else on the album. You know. So let's talk a little bit more about the album. Like, <laughs> where we're going, we're going to be, be here for a while. All night, all night. <laughs> but um, so interesting thing is like, there are t- you know, obviously there's the gaps in between tracks, but like. 
some definite bumpers of the album, the start and the end. So let, let's begin with the beginning. Like, do you give any thoughts to, hey, this is how the album will start, or is it just a sort of happenstance that that particular track ends up at the beginning? I think it's pretty intentional. Yeah. I was thinking of a lot of different approaches about starting the album. I was thinking, like, I was waiting at just um, just in the city where you can hear the clicks of the um, the crossing, ding, ding, and I was thinking about taking a field recording and um, just taking a bunch and you hear, like, and maybe adding feedback and, and looping it and then building it up until you have this, I was thinking this black metal cacophony, like this real chordal-sounding chord or something like that, and what we have is a real short version of it, which is the, which you didn't hear, actually, it was cut off, but... Yeah, that song is definitely like the starter. It's a, like a punk rock song, starts in 4-4, just like, you know, foots of the pedal, you know, kind of song. So that was definitely like an intentional first song. I think for me, the last album started off very slow and kind of like eased you into yeah. it with this like quiet little guitar thing and then the drums come in and they're sort of soft and then it takes a while before it actually kicks into the sort of real heavy part of the album. And this one, uh, personally, I just wanted it to start with a bang and this one starts with a bang, like it's just and then you're oh there you go straight into it like there's no it doesn't kind of beat around the bush and um (laughs) it's definitely written that way and the actual start um kind of sounds like iron maiden doesn't it was that on purpose Mm. or is that like a was that a unintentional it was an unintentional thing but you know i get invaders vibes but the chords are totally different yeah Yeah, because it's an e as well you (laughs) just you get a maiden kind of association. I do. I have real strong associations with keys. Like if I hear something in a different key, I'm very affected by it myself. So I'm probably most people don't have that much of a problem that I do. But it's our song. I've, yeah, <laughs> they're old. <laughs> Fair enough. Now the end of it. Um, I want to talk just about the last sort of sound in the album. It's it's weird. Yeah. Um, why? Why did you choose that particular um, just way to end it? Because it doesn't sort of have that conclusive, like... Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not very good at music. But like, There's the notes that you choose when you're in a particular key Yeah. to say, all right, this is finished, and I'm pretty sure it's not that. No, well, it, it, the root is, it ends on a D, it ends in D minor, and we picked a high E for like the top notes, so that's a ninth, and you get this... It's not particularly dissonant it could have gone a lot wider but then it would have been particularly ugly and very unresolved but it has an ominous feeling but it's still quite consonant to my ears and yeah just this ominous like who knows what happens what's the fate of this world that we've sort of given you for 45 minutes i think ultimately it was like i remember when that chord was written it was just like hey wouldn't it be cool to do this and then now it's there yeah. Really, yeah. that's yeah. that's yeah. feels good. That's the most we we thought about in terms of like writing and how to put it in there. But like the more that we hear it and the more that uh, we go over it, it's like yeah, there's there's a cool way to end it more so than uh, we thought originally. It definitely sounds final to me too. And then similarly with the start of the album, it's like a contrast from the last album. The last album kind of ends crazy and it kind of rings out a bit and the guitars go wild, whereas this one is kind of just there's just that boom. And it's, it's done. It just sort of, that's it. So it's got kind of an unresolved sound, but it's also very final yeah. to me, I guess. Well, the, the chord is that, you know, it has a very strong root note. I think the best analogy is think of it like a Back to the Future to be continued emblem. Yeah. That's what it is. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about you and live. Um, you're going to be playing up in the, the New South Wales. Yeah. Um, 
but you'll also be having a launch show on the 20th at the Reverence Hotel. Um, you'll be playing the entire album at, at that show. Talk a little bit about sort of how, how, how you do a normal show and how this show is kind of going to differ from that, playing the entire album. Not really much different. Well, I mean, yeah. like, every night when we rehearse, we're playing the whole album anyway. Um, yeah, that's just how we do things. And we always <laughs> rehearse it start to finish. Mm. We did the same... I feel like we did the same with the last album, too. We're kind of... I guess it's almost like OCD in that regard with us. Like, we write it in order. Well, not, we don't write the songs in order, but, like, we have the order in mind the whole time and we rehearse them in order. And we definitely wrote this album um, to have a kind of like it tells a story musically, like yeah. it's got a beginning and a middle and end. We thought very long and hard about the pacing of the album, where everything was going to sit. So there's, you know, there's times to breathe and there's times to, you know, jump up and down and like it kind of balances out really well. And we just wanted to play it the whole thing start to finish and like really present it the way it's supposed to be rather than a normal show where you kind of like have the songs out of order and you might play an old song from an old album and it's just like, that's more of a set, whereas this is more of like we're playing the actual concept. Yeah, it's Am a complete I just rambling work. or does that make No, that absolutely. Make sense? And I think we're all a fan of concept albums. I know I'm a huge fan of concept albums, whether it be 70s prog rock or, you know, Queen Strikes operating, Operation Mindcrime, you know, uh, or more contemporary stuff. I guess you could say Colors is kind of a concept. It feels like a continuous piece of music, and I like creating that. I've still, even though this one was probably going to be a departure from the idea, at least for myself, of trying to write a continuous piece of music because I never would consume I somewhat tackled that I haven't completely tackled that um, but I feel like I'm, I'm always going to want to you know like write a, write a concept record so yeah you know it's kind of conceived as like one piece but you know the, obviously there are the individual songs that end and conclude quite well mm, interesting interesting um, now this is kind of a weird question that I come up with that I've come up with and ask people um when you're on stage, when you're playing live, what are you, what are you trying to do? Oh, man. <laughs> play, play the songs, right? <laughs> Not screw up. Yeah. Now, like, yeah, I've thought about this before. Like, what's in my head, you know? And I was actually thinking, I want to be more present, you know, because sometimes I'm, I'm taken out of the moment in these weird moments of reflection. I don't know if you guys have this. Maybe, maybe not. But, yeah, sometimes I'm sort of taken out of the moment and... You're just thinking, like, oh, how much do I have left? Like, I'm thinking about a lot of different things. There are moments where it's like I'm so into it, usually playing a solo. Like, I have to be, like, I have to be really feeling it 100%. Uh, but I think I'm losing sight of the question. But maybe someone else should answer. Uh, I'm just just trying to, trying to be good. Yeah. I, I just feel like it's yeah, just, it's, it's kind of a mix between being a battle to play the songs the way they're supposed to be played, while at the same time, I'm trying to show off, I guess. I don't know. Is, yeah, is that, there's some of that as well. I just yeah. like because you're on stage and everyone's got their eyes on you, and you just wanna you just wanna do do justice for the art that you've created. Absolutely. And but at the same time, have fun and like engage people. I try and I try and look at people because yeah. I I've got a habit of just like staring down when I play and just sweating and just struggling. So I'm always also trying to kind of yeah, like Jared said, be in the moment and and engage with people. That's that's how I'd answer that question. Um, yeah, part of it is showing off. Like the 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 whole album is is kind of from that as well. But um, <laughs> I also just want to um, present the songs in a sort of different light because um, we'll never sound exactly like the album. So um, 
if you if you go to a live gig and you just hear the album as is, then it's like I can just sit at home and do that. But when we're doing it live, um, we try to stay to the song, but uh, there are parts where we can improvise and change things up a bit just to keep things interesting. Yeah, definitely. definitely. If you want to see people playing, you don't want to see a bunch yeah. of robots. Yeah. Know. When I saw some of the stuff, like the titles and some of the tracks, something instantly occurred to me. Adam Curtis. Yeah. Adam Curtis is a, I guess you call it a documentary filmmaker yes. who makes sort of films on politics, society, and the interaction of intellectual uh, kind of streams on that. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm a big fan. Why did the that work have an impact on this album? I guess when I was watching it, particularly Hypernormalization mm. recently, and in particular, what really switched me on to sort of move me across the political spectrum was All Watched Over by Loving Mach- Machines of Loving Grace. Mm. That one, long title, probably butchered there. Sorry, mm. sorry, Adam, if you're listening in England. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it just summed up a lot of what I saw was happening in the world and seemed like a really correct analysis. You know, he talks a lot about power, corporate power and philosophical ideas and how it influences real things that happen in the world and it's shaping of geopolitics and you know politics in certain countries America the US and you, know, you can even see the impacts here this album like so it's got a consistent like theme about it would you is it a concept album or is it just an album with themes that interact with each other themes that interact there's yeah. no like main character or a story or anything it's yeah. just a a bunch of things that I guess we believe in. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's more thematic uh, than conceptual, and all, all the songs are kind of touching on the same broader topic and the same broader issues, I guess. Um, and I guess a lot of that was influenced, yeah, by Adam Curtis and those documentaries that we've mentioned as well. Absolutely. And like just our own, we all, all three of us sort of have, I guess, similar sensibilities and similar like political and worldviews, I guess. We're all sort of in agreement on most things, I guess. Yeah, in terms of like practical issues, I would say we are. Yeah, I think I yeah. think we've got different slants. Like I'm, like very interested in anarchism and other forms of, I guess, far left political ideology and thought. Um, and you know, I think Tim, you're also quite interested in that as well. Yeah. And Elliot, you're probably skewed a bit more to the centre. Yeah, but, but I guess <laughs> in terms of, um, you know, I, I guess the practical issues, we're more or less in agreement yeah, this, with that. I mean, the same, like, humanitarian, philosophical, basic ideals, we're, we're all pretty much the same. I think these, yeah. these two are a bit more well-read than I am, um, but when it comes down to it, like, we don't really have any arguments about this sort of stuff. Like, no, there's no, like, awkward things, like, with your parents yeah, who are, like, yeah. liberal voters and talking about gay marriage yeah. or whatever, you know. I'm, not, I'm not sitting around <laughs> saying we need more coal mines and, and yeah, ban, ban, ban gay marriage and stuff like that. We're, so, all, we're all on the same page with yeah, that sort of stuff. that's it. Yeah. yeah, so, but, like, so we've sort of talked about, like, Adam Curtis, political stuff, but, like, spe- more specifically, what what is... What is the content of Adam Curtis's documentaries? And if there's other sources which inform this, mm. you know, bring that in. What is that and how does that specifically inform the lyrics of this album? Well, we have a title which more or less mirrors the latest documentary, um, Hypernormalization, Hypernormal Living. 
you know, he talked a lot about the influence of social media and limiting worldviews by algorithms that are designed to... Um, and again, I don't know. It's so much... It's hard to even think, because I haven't mm. even watched the documentary in a while, where his ideas end and where our, like, concepts of the album, like, how much we've actually... You know, have I just taken my own thoughts and applied some of that stuff in the documentary and just... Um, I also I also had um, influence from this uh, German writer called Byung Chul Hun, yeah. who is also Korean. Uh, yeah, he I read this book uh, Psychopolitics, and he talks a lot about like um, technology and the way that it skewers our perceptions and the way that uh, neoliberalism is um, how it affects the way that we behave and the way that we think, and that it's ultimately kind of a corrupting force and um, yeah, that, that worked it way, its way into our album, and I feel like it's connected to the Adam Curtis thing as well. He talks about that as well, yeah. Mm. About, like, reality being distorted through technology and through um, political games and lies and things. I think we saw that with what, Cambridge Analytica, the group that was yes. uh, involved in influencing Brexit, and was it Brexit? The Trump election. No, the Trump election, yeah, yeah, right. You know, I mean, there's a real-world impact of, you know, these ideas manifesting and what happened in recent news well that like the, the fourth track on the album trapped in the echo chamber is pretty much all about that absolutely all about just like being fed back your own ideas and just sort of willingly just subscribing to and only listening to stuff that's already inside your sphere and your bubble and yeah like not being introduced new ideas that may challenge yeah, exactly. that um you know uh, you know people don't want to do it the tendency is like i'll oh, block them you know yeah. you're a hater you know yeah. deal, people yeah. don't really want to deal with dissent yeah Mm, it's interesting. Um, to, to what extent does does culture inform that? Sort of referring back to the fact the the album title "Culture Ruins Everything Around." Yeah. Me. yeah, I thought a lot about this. I'm like, it could be so badly misinterpreted. Like we're against multiculturalism <laughs> or against certain cultures. I think the culture that we're against is this sort of consumer capitalist business culture. These businesses that are trying to you know they'll incorporate memes in their advertising and they'll try to act really relatable but really the the ultimate goal behind all of these actions is just profit for their company yeah, yeah it's it's partly that and for me it's mostly the psychological aspect of um what culture is because um it dictates everything that we believe in and everything that we uh we say how we feel how we behave so for me culture is kind of yeah co-opted by these businesses and institutions that are forms of power and because they've affected culture so much we're like operating on this system that that isn't truly like what we believe in it's something that someone else has designed and now we're just following blindly yeah well, so. it's imposed upon us and we're you know it gives the illusion of freedom but in fact you're you're more trapped you know the amount of people I hear that are just in debt, and David Graver's book Debt, I think, shaped a lot of my... You know, I read it around the time, you know, before writing the lyrics, so that would have seeped in there. Couldn't say which aspects of it. Don't remember much of the book, if I'm honest, but I remember reading it, and I felt like it was had a profound impact. Mm, it's interesting, because I, I think the fundamental issue that kind of all these things relate to is that we have massive corporations, and, you know, that, that's an issue in itself. Mm. But the problem is that these massive corporations control the platforms on which our culture is basically hosted. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Facebook, yeah. Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, they're yeah. not sort of these neutral platforms. Yeah, so they have big stakes. Yeah, they're, 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 they're maintained and organised by the algorithms which 
corporations specifically use. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, the, the extent to which they have the ability to manipulate us mm-hmm. is kind of vague because, like, it seems that often they're, they're blundering and they can't figure out how to do things. Yeah. But the, the fact is that these algorithms definitely have uh, a real ability to point people in different ways. Yeah, so they can control what you see and hear, basically. Mm. If they don't want you to see something, they've got it in their power to not let you see that. Yeah. Really, yeah. Yep. through the advertising and through, through algorithms. Really, and maybe the highest bidder, really. Yeah. It's, it's their playground. And I think to remember, they're also a corporation. They're also, profit is the end goal for all of these organizations. They you don't know? have your best interests at heart. Absolutely. Even, as much even as they, if pretend they pretend to. Yeah, even if they pretend to, even if yeah. they seem like they're compassionate, it's only because there's a profit in being Absolutely. compassionate. Like yeah. there's all these, yeah, very well there's all these uh, organizations that are like, we're pro-LGBT, uh, we we uh acknowledge you know aboriginal land and things like that but it's like do you really believe that or are you adopting these policies just because it's it looks good and yeah. then people will be like hey yeah. these guys are compassionate i'm gonna go with them and that's the real virtue signaling it's not some leftist on twitter going like uh, you know i i profess to believe these things you know it's these corporations who are just doing it for a real ulterior motive which is profit at your expense you know mm. there's this sort of divided among you know the ostensibly left political wing. Uh, I follow a lot of this stuff in the United States, so that's yeah. sort of where my sort of perspective tends to lean. Yeah. But, but it's interesting because you have people who say, I, I think this is quite rightly, that there's nothing wrong with uh, identity informing some of your politics. But when you make that such a vast sum of your politics, you miss the fundamental aspects yeah, of, of corporate power, which... Uh, if, if you don't think about things like like class, then you just get obliterated because you hear to people and say like we take your identity into into account, we respect you, and we deliver things which assist you with you know racism, homophobia, transphobia, all those different things. Mm-hmm. And even if those st- that stuff's cured, even if that stuff is alleviated, then we're still left with the, the vast sort of corporate power which yeah. grinds yeah. people through mm. both their, their platforms and their ability to actually affect politics and the way we live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Ornamental violence. Tell us a little bit about the, what that means because that's a really interesting title and how the song came about. Tim came up with a song title and it, yeah, it's a great song title. Yeah, um, I, I think we, we just had the title and we were like just working with that. Yeah. 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 And I guess it basically that. ties into... Um, you just see so much violence all around the world, whether it's war, whether it's like uh, gangs, whether it's just like street And it's, it's held in violence. high regard, like certain violence is like yeah. state enforced and held as good, you know, just yeah. violence. There's good violence it's and there's bad violence, society. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're talking about the glorification of violence. Yeah. Do you think that's fair to say? Because I think a lot about this. Some, it's taking little... the chorus by itself, I'm like, well, that could be interpreted really rough. <laughs> it's kind of about the glorification of, like, yeah, state-enforced violence, like, like war, war and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and, and police brutality. But then also you see so much other violence, like really tragic violence, like, you know, um, gun violence in America and all that yep. sort of stuff. And at the end of the day, it all kind of blends into one. This is how I interpret the song yeah. anyway. And it just becomes sort of ornamental. Like, it's just up there on a shelf. You're like, oh, yeah, there's some yeah. terrible violence that I see every single day. And you kind of become desensitized to Certainly. it. That's, that's how I interpret um, the lyrics for this song. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah. So we chatted last time about the fact that, you know, there are ups and downs of being uh, an independent band. Yeah. How do you how are you guys feeling about it ongoing? Have you ever had any thoughts of like, oh, we want to find a label? Yeah, we'd like to be dependent. 
on a label? Um, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that I'd rather not be doing. Uh, I I don't really want to do the promoting. I don't want to organize T-shirts or do the merch or keep track of everything. It's like I I'm in this band because I want to play music and write music. Mm-hmm. I mean I I don't I don't hate like organizing the T-shirts and stuff, but if there was someone else to do that for us, it'd be really sweet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially as a three-piece. There's yeah, there's there's division of labor, but there's still a lot of labor. There's still a lot of messaging bands, a lot of contacting yeah. um, people in the media, organizing merchandise, like we said. And yeah, it's it's a good payoff at the end when you have the stuff in your hands and you have the music out there. But like, sometimes you just want to play music and you don't want to do all this legwork. And sometimes getting told no over and over by people is kind of um, defeating. Like we've been trying to organize this show, our album launch, and we've got a great lineup now. We're going to love playing with all these bands. But what you don't see when you see a four-band lineup is um, 30 to 40 messages of people saying, oh, nah, sorry, tied up that night. And it's fine. Like, yeah. we understand not everyone can commit to everything. And some no's are better than others. Yeah, some no's are better than others. really nice yeah, no's. Exactly, exactly. And there so, are others which you can tell are I just don't want like... to paint everyone with the same brush. But yeah, when, when you get told no over and over again by bands, by people in the media... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit defeating. That's probably one of the downsides. Yeah, because you know you we band. love what we do, so you know it's a cognitive dissonance that you have of like, oh maybe it's not that good, you know. Mm. But we love it. But how could it be bad? You know, yeah. there's definitely a tendency to take um, negative responses as personal. Um, you try to separate it, but yeah, at the end of the day, you pour hours of your life into making this music, and then to have someone say. Nah, not interested. It's yeah. kind of a, it's kind of oh. kick, kicking the teeth sometimes. Sometimes the reason they give you for saying no, you can't get your head around why they've chosen that reasoning. Yeah. Again, people also be some people. Yeah, you know, it's not not that bright. Also, these guys have full time jobs. I'm studying full time and working as yeah. well. So it's like we don't have the time to. If if we did this full time, then I would love it. I mm. I, don't, I wouldn't care about having to organize merchandise or asking bands and stuff. Yep. It'd, be, It'd be a joy. Yeah, you know, much more joyful it, than the forty hours of responding yeah. to customers' inquiries. But right now, it's like we've got other things to do as well to keep mm. ourselves afloat. So, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. There's there's definitely ups and downs. I mean, we'd love to have a label or, or someone to help us, you know, organize uh, live shows and merch. Um, but at the same time, we have a lot of freedom. We can do whatever the heck we want. That's right. Except for swear. <laughs> swear is bad. Yeah. We can do whatever we want we're, musically, we're and we can swear. play wherever we want. And we yeah, can... yeah, you can swear. I've already sworn a yeah. times. That's good. I took note of that. I can take liberties. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've got freedom, which is good, but, um, you know, freedom isn't free. So sometimes we've got to put in the, put in the hard yards. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you guys get into heavy music? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. I came across, like, a f- I mean, yeah, probably sort of, like, new metal, because it was so big in the early 2000s, just when I left primary school, getting into high school, developing your own identity. But I guess, like, really getting into metal, I came across a forum post on Sputnik Music that was, like, MX Tabs, I think. And it was just, like, a metal thread, and I came across Children of Bodom, Blind Guardian, and Ice Turf in, like, 2002 or three, and that just blew my, blew my f- mind. Like, yeah, that was... Then I was into metal. I have um, two older brothers and a dad who are very into metal. We used to listen to Screaming Symphony and The Red Stink of Metal on PBS when I was like nine years old. My dad would tape stuff off the radio and we'd look into bands. And um, I think the first stuff that I really got into 
on a personal level was like yeah, melodic death metal, Children of Bodom, yeah. uh, melodic black metal, Dim and Borgir and stuff like that, and then just ran with it from there. Um, yeah, obviously I had a you know being a teenager, you've listened to a lot of new metal as well. I think I was always drawn to heavy stuff, even when I was like a kid, like five six years yeah. old, listening to like Green Day and like like punk stuff, kind of hard hitting stuff. Yeah. Never really listened to a lot of pop, so it was always kind of heavy stuff for me. Um, but now, funnily enough, I don't listen to a whole lot of metal, and I listen to more sort of, I guess, commercially sounding stuff these days. So it flips around. Yeah, I think it's just uh, growing up with the internet for me. And uh, just hearing like, I don't know, I think I started with Linkin Park. That was probably my first. Yeah, yeah me and Elliot still listen to Linkin yeah, Park these days. Yeah, today actually. I'm yeah, not great. relenting on my position on Linkin Park. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, from there it I was like, like a Rage Against the Machine and oh. System of a Down. Which yeah. we, we all love, yeah. but uh, with the internet, for me, it was like, I just wanted to find more and more, mm. and you can find more and more. Yeah. It's very easy. Yeah. yeah. Just more and more obscure stuff that you can yeah. really delve into. And just being music lovers, I think. Yeah, we want I, I, everything. I've got to get a new band or a new album every week, otherwise I get bored. Like, I've just got to find new stuff all the time. Yeah. And it's not just metal or heavy music. Um, I think I'm very eclectic in what music I listen to and uh, I think that's that's just the same part of metal um, in how I got into metal it's just um, just wanting to find more mm. more rare stuff yeah Tim's so eclectic he likes harsh noise he doesn't yeah. fuck yeah. around okay? <laughs> Tim Lack likes his eclectic <laughs> mixes it proves how cool I am because of how how little people listen to the music that I listen to. <laughs> Fool me, yeah. want me over. <laughs> I think I was talking to um, a band called Diploid. Oh, ah, yeah, um, sick band. Diploid. Yeah, great, great band. band. Shouts out. And because they, they incorporate a little bit of noise stuff into their, their music, and I say, like, noise is the noise is a big hill to cross. <laughs> so it's a hard one. Yeah. yeah. But once you've listened to everything else, it's like, well, what's the difference I between well this? Listen to this yeah. scratching of fingers on shortboard. <laughs> Elliot <laughs> oh, is not down for the I noise. Used to, I used to live with Tim, and uh, yeah, sometimes I walk past his room and be like, "Oh, this rules! This is great, Tim. What's this called?" And sometimes I walk past and I just keep walking. <laughs> Never tell me what this yeah. is. Yeah, and sometimes I'd be in the basement, uh, smashing up a computer and recording it, and saying that that's music. And I was like, "All right, Tim." <laughs> uh, how did you all get into playing your respective instruments? Yeah, I started playing bass guitar. Um, I always wanted to play drums when I was young. My cousin played drums, and I really looked up to him. And I remember like trying to write out Sleep Now in the Fire by Rage Against the Machine, like what the drums might be. Like, as I kind of found drum tabs, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably a splash cymbal. And well, apparently, you know, no, no idea what I was doing. But then I just picked up guitar like after I broke up with a girlfriend in high school, and I was, got the flu. So then I just started playing obsessively, looking up like Steve Vai and Van Lamsing, just shredders, trying to like, how do I get real good, real fast at guitar? When I was like 15. I had an older brother who got a drum kit for Christmas, and he was more into guitar, so I moved the drum kit into my room, and uh, that became my thing. I was always tapping on stuff. My mum kind of tested this. I was always tapping on stuff even before I got that. Um, and then turned 18 and bought my own kit, started taking it seriously, joined a band as soon as I could. And uh, yeah, I've never looked back. I couldn't imagine not having drums. Uh, there was an old guitar at my house and I was just playing it. And yeah, that's, that's about it. <laughs> I, I, it just really connected with me. So I just kept doing it. And uh, I don't know. 
not sure. I just really got into music and really enjoyed listening. Yeah, I found that there was sort of a almost a natural talent, which, um, yeah. I oh, know. definitely. I mean, first thing when I met you, your ear was so strong, and that was like one of my inspirations behind trying to get like just better at my ear. Like, oh, Tim just learn these songs by ear. Man, I gotta get better at that. That's magic. <laughs> also, I want to ask, who, do you know whose guitar it was? It was my uncle's guitar. Yeah, cool. He doesn't play guitar, but it was there, so. Now it was mine. It's mine now. Yeah, cool. <laughs> when when we're talking about this sort of cultural, philosophical, political circumstance that envelops us, like, do you reckon we're living in a unique period of time, or just one of those cyclical bad times that happens? Yeah, I think it's definitely well. It's it's unique in regards to the platforms we have and the level of engagement we can have with people uh, near us and far away from us. I think, you know, before 20 years ago, Mm. you were much more closed off um, before obviously the internet and social media came along. So it's diff. I think it's definitely unique in that regard, but I think the same tropes um, political and, and corporate wise probably still exist and probably still a cyclical, you know, um, the employer-employee relationship is never really going to change, you know? So yes and no. Um, One thing you mentioned, Elliot, I thought, you know, that's true, but, you know, if you think about back then, you you know, um, now we've got all this freedom available to us, and the point is slowly slipping as I'm trying to get it out of my mouth. Quick, quick, quick. It's right there. (laughs) Um, You know, even, even though we were more geographically isolated, you were probably more connected with your community, yeah. you know, whereas now we've got this appearance of all this entire freedom, but people are probably more alienated than ever before, yeah. you know, and you feel more alone. Particularly social media doesn't help that because you see your friends having a great time and you look at your own life. And of course, you're seeing, you're seeing the greatest hits of their life on Facebook. Yeah, it's, yes, that, yeah. it's that Guns N' Roses greatest hits, you know. It's not the spaghetti incident or whatever that <laughs> shitty album they did after Usual Illusion. You know, that's actual life. It's the spaghetti incident. But you think it's the greatest hits of Guns N' Roses. Oh, that's you know? a quote. That's real life, yeah. the spaghetti incident. <laughs> that is, what's, what's kind of fascinating about it is one of the issues throughout history is that the, you know, the worker class, the lower classes, has wanted to organise against the upper classes. And now we have the tools to do that, but we we seem to have lost the thread. We've lost the fact that, hey, these tools, they enable us to be connected. Everyone in Victoria who was, a, who was of a certain, you know, mindset about the way to reorganise society could theoretically be organised on mm. various different platforms... I mean, they could create their own platform because the internet facilitates these kind of platforms being created with you you know, a little bit of lead work. Mm. But like, we we now even though we've got that sort of technology, we still we find ourselves in a situation where people aren't of that mindset. Yeah. Well, the technology and the tools are controlled, I guess you could say, by the ruling class. You know, the, mm. the, I guess the cap. Let's use some Marxist terminology. The, you know, the bourgeois. The pro, uh, you know the uh, um, proletariat. Well, that's, that's the opposite one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the capitalists who they control the technology and the tools. So, I mean, that element of control gives people a disadvantage, and it's actually, I think, you know, and and, and you know, it's a point that um, you know, 
people on the right would like to point out, oh, look at this communist, you know, using an Apple phone made by capitalism. You know, you're a hypocrite. You should be in anarcho-primitist living in a commune somewhere, you know, if you want to really stay true to your ideals. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the tools are sort of not controlled by the working class. So it's kind of, I guess it's, the game's kind of rigged against that type of, you know, mass organization of oppressed people against the power structure that oppresses them. It's kind of hard for that to happen on those mediums, I would say. But I don't know how true that is, you know. I'm just a musician. You definitely have the, you have the <laughs> tools. You have the tools, but they've been blunted to an extent yeah. by um, the people who created them, I guess. Is that sort of kind of what you're saying? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. So, and like you, like you touched on before about being alienated. So, yeah, we've, everyone is now connected and we can all, if we really wanted to, band together and start an uprising. But... At the, thing, but at the same time, key, yeah, sorry. You, do you really feel comfortable starting a revolution? No, because you're comfortable media? in your own home. Exactly. You just, oh, I'm supporting yeah. it. I press like. So, you're not out in the street. And that's, um, <laughs> and that's, I guess that ties into our album a little bit too. Um, culture ruins everything around you, including your motivation and ability to really do things in your own best interest sometimes. To what extent do people around you kind of... I know. Do you do you, are you aware of their kind of opinions on these kind of topics? Um, and if if you are, to what extent do they do they have sort of similar kind of feelings about this sort of stuff? I think a lot of my friends have similar feelings. You know, um, from what I can tell, um, people you know that I would come across people at work. You know, you know you you know you're thrown together with a bunch of varying people from different backgrounds and. You know, there's kind of like a just toe the line. Like, if I, when I bring up anything remotely subversive with this kind of left-wing kind of political perspective, I can sense a, a, a resistance to listen to those words or, like, write me off as, like, oh, that's a bit crazy. I've yeah. Got, I've got kind of like a 1950s approach, you know, don't discuss politics and religion at the dinner table sort of thing. Mm. Um, partly because... I mean, I like discussing this stuff with these guys and with people that are, like, close and that I can relate to, but the broader population and the broader people that I engage with day-to-day, I'm not really interested in their political and social views. They're probably not uh, interested in mine. I don't really want to have a clash and have a bad time, so I kind of keep it to myself, I guess. And, I mean, additionally with that, I don't think I'm well enough read and well enough equipped to really discuss this stuff if it gets difficult if you know what I'm saying yeah well it, so, and I mean, will. I've, it's, I've, it's a difficult thing to discuss yeah, it's going to get I've difficult I've got my opinions and my ideals and my val- values I guess um, but I feel sometimes like if somebody really was to question me I might not really have a leg to stand on at some point yeah and that's what I'm afraid of I guess yeah. that's kind of interesting because it, it kind of goes back to this idea that the uh, sort of I don't I don't, I don't to refer to it's sort of derisive, but the the classes who are not in control um, are at disadvantage because they lack power and they lack the processes which are you know to a large extent controlled by the powerful. Yeah. But then also they you know to a larger extent lack the education or specifically the the higher education which is necessary to really deeply understand these incredibly important and difficult topics about you know fundamentally restructuring the way society works. Absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like uh, those people are keeping that knowledge away from people who can't access, you know, higher education. It, it shouldn't be that, that way. You shouldn't have to have money to 
go into school and learn about these things, you, you should be able to, to know. Yeah. Just yeah. by... Have access to the yeah. knowledge to enrich yourself. Yeah. But, mm. you know, the enrichment of, you know, there's a... There's a pie, and the people that have the largest amount of pie want to keep gobbling their pie, <laughs> and they want to keep it. They want to keep people just sustained enough to keep producing for the system that they profit from. So one flip. Mm, it's it's interesting because and education, I think, is one means to stop that. But it's very All true because you then have the commercialization of education, which you know, obviously Australia in a certain sense has a a good model where. You know, people can go go get an education and pay for it later. That's, you know, to a certain extent, a good system. Mm. But fundamentally, education is often viewed through the prism of this is a means to financially stabilise yourself. Yeah, to be it's a productive not, it's member not, of society or yeah, the workforce. Yeah, well, productive for yourself, but not productive in a broader sense where you can either enrich society through uh, your cultural learnings or yeah. your sort of broader philosophical political learnings. Yeah. You're restricted to the field mm. where you're, you're going to earn money, which may not assist you in sort of attempting to develop a more just society. Yeah, or like even a personal, you know, in a very materialistic sense, I'll say this, spiritual mm. fulfilment, you know. If, you know, yeah, like I don't know who's like, yeah, I've always wanted to be an accountant. Since coming out of the womb, you know, I just love crunching those numbers. No, I know if you, you know, maybe that. like a more like serious mathematician engaged in physics where it's like, you know, serious source engaged, but just like, you know, I can't imagine anyone's too passionate about doing that from a young age. No offense, any any counts. I think there'd be a certain, uh, especially the one who's going to do my tax return or whatever. <laughs> there'd be a certain percentage of people that do go and try to study um, politics, political science, all that sort of stuff. And then they they finish up their studies and they feel full of knowledge and they can't work in that field and they end up doing something they never thought they'd do and they just have a, have a degree in something that they're never going to use. I think there's also a lot, a lot of people like that. Yeah. Who maybe start off feeling very impassioned about um, get, getting into something like that, like politics, religion, whatever it may be, and then they get out of it and they just, you know, there's not enough jobs in that field. So, a uh, question about music you guys have been listening to. is uh, Over the last two years, um, since we last chatted, has there been any music that you've heard that sort of stuck with you of particular note? I want to say The Arms. Their yeah. album this year was very impressive and, you know, an interesting blend of chaotic hardcore punk and electronica, I guess. Yeah, another band that uh, changed their style to... Um, yeah to spice things up I guess yeah, yeah. They're, they're a band that uh, they they set out to record every album that they do they do with a different drummer so really? this one yeah I, I can't remember the guy's name but he's he's awesome he plays in Sumac the drummer uh, he's great you guys aren't going to start doing that method are you? yeah I was going to say it's going to be the last one I think all three of us just like burn burn through music a lot uh, I guess stuff that stood out over the last couple of years for me would be like Caravels, which is kind of like a, a post-hardcore band um, that Tim showed me. Uh, Ed Hochuli, which is kind of like a hardcore band that our friend um, who plays in a band called Good Grief showed us. And there was another one I just had on the tip of my tongue that I can't remember. Um, but I think um, in a broader sense, I've kind of moved more away from extreme metal and hip-hop, more into like post-hardcore, scramsy stuff. And even like recently some more sort of like commercially stuff um, that I wouldn't have thought I'd ever get into. So, yeah. 
been listening to a lot of Middle Eastern music. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's um, that project? The uh, it's called Lekfa. It's like three Egyptian musicians that are doing like it's kind of like Egyptian pop, but uh, with a sort of experimental twist. And there's also Nada El Shazli who does like experimental electronic music mixed with some traditional stuff as well. And uh, there's a compilation called Chubi Chubi, which everyone should listen to. It's a bunch of like Iraqi wedding songs. It's it's great. Yeah, a lot of cool rhythms and. Uh, it's like tabla throughout the whole thing, really distorted tabla. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a particular um, instrument in Iraq that's yeah similar. Yeah, not not a tabla. tabla. It's it's like some sort of drum. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah. Hmm, that's really cool. What are you guys be going to be doing when uh, the album comes out on the day, the eleventh? I'm going to be working. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be at work too, and then um, so I think the plan is we'll just push a button that makes it so you can get it, and then we'll just. Watch the dollars roll through the door, ching ching. Yeah, and then because um, we're just a bunch of capitalists, we just pr- right. we're pr- we're talking about all this left wing stuff. But you know. <laughs> and then I think we're going to rehearse that night and just kind of say how awesome we all are, and then that'll yeah. be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're rehearsing. Yeah, that's yeah. what we're so doing. So we'll have a yeah, it'd be a good kind of little party. You know, make sure we're really tight for the New South Wales gigs we're coming up. Going on a tour there with Giant Clam, one of the, another band I'm in, which is instrumental math rock. So that's good. I'm going to be playing two sets. It's going to be really burnt out. <laughs> it's going to be like no rest at all. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And then we have a, a Melbourne album launch uh, booked at the Reverence Hotel Band Room on Friday the 20th of July. Um, we're playing with, um, as Jared just mentioned, his other band, Giant Clam. And we're also playing with um, Grudge, which is like a, a, fr- a you know death metal band that we're friends with. We've been playing a few shows with them. Furious Grindcore. Furious Grindcore. That's yeah, high high intensity, coffee fueled. Uh, yeah, and also a band called Good Grief, um, which is kind of a new band, kind of like a post doomy, yeah, post metal sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you really like them. Yeah. I, I feel like that, that sounds very familiar. Let me You're going to just have to come to the gig. There's I, online. I, I, I do yeah. want to come to that gig. Yeah. I, I've sort of gone You're away welcome. from going to gigs recently for some reason, but I definitely want to come to that. You should go, awesome. you should go to this gig towards it. What? You should go towards this gig. You were saying you've been going away from moving away. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's late. It's like, it's, like an hour, it's like an hour past our curfew, so the humor's not really landing anymore. No, that, that's fine. One last question, and then I'll throw it open to you guys if you have anything left to say. If you couldn't do Future Corps, if the government says, damn it, Future Corps, you're too strong with your uh, leftist message, we must ban you, what would you guys be doing in its place? We'd actually start a revolution and overthrow yeah. the government. That's right. We get guns, and uh, <laughs> no, I'd probably just deny it and just be like, "Leftists, what are you talking about? Like, we're, you know, we're, yeah, we're like you, you know, you know, we do, we do what the right wing people do to like leftists, and we like create their cultural ideas and misinterpret everything, and then you know, win over those people that are not really as informed about it. You know, you make do. I'll just, I'll keep going and let them kill me. I guess I'd probably just play in Bellacore and just do European tours, which would be terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Jared, seriously, what would you be doing if, for some reason, you couldn't do Future Corps? I'd probably just do the thing I thought about when I get old, just playing like a jazz trio, just trying to play over, I don't know, some... 
just giant steps and lots of different keys and <laughs> try and get good at it and piss people off playing that at cafes. Uh, my answer was probably serious. Yeah. I'd probably just play in the other... I, I play in a couple of bands. Mm. Um, if Future Corps, if this hypothetical situation actually occurred and our <laughs> band got banned, um, <laughs> it'd be it'd be crap. But um, yeah, probably just, just play in the other band, I guess. Yeah. So you can live without us, is that what you're saying? <laughs> hey, correctly. hypothetical situation, yeah, if, yeah. I, if I had a gun to my head and said, you couldn't play in this band anymore, otherwise I'll shoot you. You were going to be in my jazz band. <laughs> I would teach you... How to play really oh, well, well I under giant steps. I didn't realise the door was open for me. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll quit Bellacore then, <laughs> and I'll just play in your jazz band. That's right. <laughs> Better answer. <laughs> uh, Tim? Uh, I was pretty serious as well. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what if, for some reason, a different reason? If, uh, if I had to, then I would start Future Corps 2. <laughs> same same line oh, up. You know what you could do? Yeah. The future, the F-U, the, it could be like f 2 Chuck yeah, Corps. yeah, oh. they're, they're, we've got it started already. Yeah. So, or yeah. just make it. A, you know, they had a problem with our leftist message. We're a right wing band, future Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. This man does not speak for us. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I've shown my true colors. <laughs> <laughs> all jokes, all jokes. Um, I, th- I think we will wrap it up there after two hours, two wonderful hours. Yeah. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming on my second last show. Um, I look forward to hopefully talking to you guys in future on a theoretical podcast, which yeah, will hopefully awesome. stay up. Yeah, we'll see you then. <laughs> it's been an honour, man. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, yeah. Before before we go, do you have anything left you want to say? I think culture wins everything around me. It's out July 11th. Um, go to futurecorps.bandcamp.com. Go to our Facebook uh, give us a like, share the album around, spread it around. We're really proud of it. We really hope everyone's going to enjoy it. Um, I think it's our, our best work. And, uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a great time listening to it. And come down to uh, the Reverence on the 20th of July and, and listen to it played in full there. Maybe for the first, definitely for the first time. Who knows if we'll do it again. It's a big ask. But, yeah, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Yeah, 20th of July, uh, the launch gig. Come down to that. See you there. Yeah, so culture ruins everything around me. Uh, the acronym is CREAM. Was that intentional? Oh, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. A it's a reference to, um, to Wu-Tang. Yeah. Okay. Cash rules everything around me. Yeah, uh, yeah we're, we're just ripping off everything. Fair enough. Yeah, that was... <laughs> see, see where I, my head's at. I, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, guys, thank you so much for coming in the studio. Thank you. I was out on the 11th. Thanks for listening to the Moshpit Backstage Podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Omni. To find out more about the show, go to www.syn.org.au slash moshpit. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash moshpitonsin and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at moshpitsin. The regular Moshpit radio show broadcasts punk, rock and male tunes and interviews every Thursday nights on Sin 9.7 on FM and digital radios. Listeners outside of Melbourne, Australia can stream Sin 9.7 online at www.syn.org.au. Thanks to Vintage Ruin for the music. Hi, this is Tomato from Flashgun Apocalypse. Hi, I'm Enid from Girls School. I am Phoebe Pinnock from Heaven the Axe. Hey, this is Gary Oldman of the Misfits. Hey, this is Kat Sproul from Horizon's Edge, and you're listening to The Moss Pit on Sin FM. Hi, this is Aina from Leopard. Hi, I'm Virginia Lilly from the band Lilly. This is Raoul from 1449. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ali from Eberhead. 
Hey everybody, this is Charlie Benante with Anthrax, and you are listening to the Mosh Pit on Tips. 